Well, good evening, everybody. If you get a Bible out, open it up to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, and maybe, maybe lay your marker there because we're going we're gonna to leave this chapter and then we'll come back to it at the end. Titus, the first chapter, as we ready to open up the Word of God and talk about some things that are of great importance for uh, us as Christians and especially for those of us who are members of this congregation. We do have folks visiting with us and we do very much appreciate the fact that you're here tonight and uh, hopefully you'll, you'll be things that you'll gain from our time together talking about things that pertain to God's Word. Uh, having said that, much of what I'm going to have to say tonight pertains to the members of this local group and who we are as a body of God's people and what we're trying to do together. And so, uh, members, give extra careful attention to the things that we're talking about tonight. Uh, this is, by my account, this is the eighth lesson uh, that I will have presented in this series of lessons over the course of the last few months on shepherding God's flock. And so when you add these lessons with the 12 or 13 lessons that happened during the Wednesday night adult class this past quarter, and then combine that with the six lessons that Brother Phil Morgan presented for us back in October, uh, more than 25 lessons now on the subject of local church leadership. And we've really kind of reached the point where uh, I don't know that there's a whole lot more that I could say that's not already been said uh, during the course of these studies. And I know that I speak for myself, and certainly I would probably be speaking for my dad and, and Brother Phil when he was here, that we've appreciated the interest uh, of folks in this particular subject. And as we think about how that relates to us as a group of God's people here at Lakeside and our desire to be whole and complete scripturally in our organization to have elders and to have deacons, and to be uh, the kind of church that we read about in the New Testament. And so, in that vein, this evening we've kind of reached the kind of the, the culminating lesson in these studies, and I want to begin that tonight in Titus chapter 1 as we think about where do we go from here, okay? We've studied this thing through, we've talked about things and had discussions about things. Where do we go now with all of this? In Titus chapter 1, and in verse 5, Paul says to Titus there, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained or what was lacking into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then what follows in the verses after that, verses 6 through 9, is the list of qualifications for an elder. I want you to imagine, imagine a business, some kind of a, a corporate structure of some kind, maybe even the workplace in which you work. And imagine in that workplace that the higher-ups, they come to you. Imagine that you're just regular Joe worker or Joni worker. You're an employee in that particular business. And they come to you and they say, Hey, we want you to decide the management for our company. In fact, we don't just want you. We want all of our employees to have some say and to have some thoughts about who's going to be the management for this corporation, for this business. Now, that would seem rather off-putting to us because that's normally not how that happens. Usually it's the shareholders or it's the higher-ups in higher positions. They're the ones who bring in managers and they're the ones who make those kinds of decisions. And so the thought that, that I, I, I get to have some input in that, in fact, the thought that that, that job is going to then be entrusted to me and all the other employees that we're going to decide who our managers are, Wow, that just, that just doesn't happen, especially in the corporate world. Do you know what? When we think about this corporation, if you'll 
pardon my use of that term. If you'll think about this group, this body that we call the Lord's church, that's actually the way that it works. That the Lord wants His people to play a very important role in the selection of those who would be managers over the household of God. Overseers, shepherds, elders. That each and every one of us, as the children of God, as members of this local church, that we all play a part in that important process. And I find that to be truly amazing for a number of reasons, but maybe the biggest one is is the thought that God is actually entrusting to us a very important task. Your thought about that? The fact that God trusts you and I enough that we would then be able to find and select and appoint the right kind of people to serve as overseers of His congregation. I find that to be amazing. Now, God has made us stewards in a number of other ways. We are we are stewards over the creation. Yes, that's a daunting thought, the fact that we are to be responsible in some ways for the creation, the things that God's put in this world. We are stewards, those of us that are parents, we are stewards of our children. God gives us that blessing, and that's an awesome responsibility. But again, God trusts us that we will raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And in the same way, as awesome of a responsibility as it is to find and select and to appoint elders in a church, God believes that you and I can do that. And that's exactly where we have reached in this particular series of lessons and in our, our efforts, all of the prayers and all the studies and all the discussions about this subject. We've reached that point where now let's make an attempt to find and select, see if we're able to appoint men to this important duty. Now, this evening, what I want to do is I want to not so much preach. That's why I'm doing a lot of things different tonight. I've got my podium over there, not wearing my jacket. I don't have my notebook up here with all kinds of stuff that I've labored tediously over to say the exact right words. Because tonight, I don't so much want to preach as I just want to try to talk a little bit. I want to make sure that the things that I'm saying don't come across in some kind of harsh way. Sometimes even when you say the right word, sometimes I recognize that the tone may not come across in the right way. And so I certainly don't want to come across in a bad way for this particular lesson. I just want to talk to you member to member. And in many ways tonight, I'm kind of serving as the, the conduit for some things that we as the men who came together this afternoon, some things that we talked about and discussed and decided upon And it's my task this evening to try and relay some of those things to you. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to turn now to Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, as we think about, all right, well, well, how do we go about finding these men and selecting them and getting them to a place where they can be appointed officially to serve in this role? How exactly do we do that? Well, the passage we just read in Titus chapter 1 verse 5, that's really about all the Bible says about that. Paul told Titus to appoint elders in every town, that is, in every congregation in those towns on the island of Crete. And that's pretty much it. That's all that God said about that. We don't find specific directions on what that process is to look like. You do this, then this, then this happens, and then that happens, and bang, now you have elders. We don't have that. And so in the absence of that, maybe we're kind of left scraping around the New Testament. All right, is there something that we can look at in the New Testament that might help kind of guide our our thoughts in this so that we can find the right way and in a way that would be pleasing to God, a way that would be expedient, a way that would employ biblical principles so that we know we're doing something that God approves of? Well, maybe the closest thing that we can find is here in Acts the 6th chapter. Now, I want to say right up front, 
What we're going to read here in Acts chapter 6 is not a church selecting and appointing elders. That's not what's going on in Acts 6. But we do have a scenario here where the church is being called upon to do some looking and to do some selecting and eventually some appointing happens. And so read with me in Acts chapter 6. What's the what's going on in Acts 6? Acts 6 verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now what's the problem here? Well, this is the Jerusalem church. This is that church that started on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 strong obey the gospel. And the church just continued to grow in the chapters that followed. We may be talking about several thousand people that make up this local congregation in Jerusalem. And unfortunately, when you have a congregation of that size, you're going to have some growing pains, right? And that's what's happening here. There's some growing pains that are happening. And I don't think it was purposeful in any way, but one of the side effects of being a growing and large congregation was that there were some of these widows who were being neglected in that daily distribution of food and the things that people needed at that time. And they were being overlooked. And so they spoke up about that. And they said, hey, we need to do something about these ladies. We need to be making sure that these folks are taken care of. And so they came to who were the leaders at that time. Well, that was the apostles. And so this was brought to the attention of the apostles. Verse verse 2. And the twelve, that's the apostles, they summoned the full number of the disciples and they said... It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. The the, the apostles say, this is a problem, it is an issue that needs to be addressed, but that's not really the task that we were chosen by Jesus to carry out. These apostles had been entrusted with doing what? Preaching the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That was the job of the apostles. And so the apostles say, this isn't really what we need to be devoting our time to. So what you need to do, verse 3, is you need, verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so the apostles, certainly being God's appointed leaders at that time, they were men that were guided by the Holy Spirit. They said to the congregation at Jerusalem, what we want you to do is we want you to look out amongst yourselves. Pick out from your own number... Seven men, actually a specific number is specified here. You need to find seven guys who can carry out this task. Notice what's said in verse 5. And what they said, it pleased the whole gathering. And they chose, who they choose? They chose Stephen, who we read about in later chapters. Philip, who we also read about in later chapters. And then the other five are names that maybe are not very familiar to us. Prochorus, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they, I believe that would be the apostles, they prayed and laid their hands on them. And so what's going on here? Well, the apostles charge the congregation. Hey, you know the people that are in your midst. You know who you all are. You know what kind of people are among you. You look out amongst yourselves, and you select seven men to carry out this task. Now, Here's where maybe there's a little bit of close parallel with our situation. You don't just pick out any old guy. Don't just pick out guys that you happen to like 
or pick out, you know, the first ones who raise their hands to volunteer. No. You need to pick out guys who meet certain qualifications. And in this case, there were three specific qualifications. Men of good repute, have a good reputation. Guys that you can count on, that you just know. Hey, these are, these are good, solid guys. Men who are full of the spirit, spiritually minded guys. And then men who are full of wisdom. They need to be a certain kind of man. And I'll say again, this is not employing many of the standards that the world uses and even other churches use today. Sometimes churches will employ the idea of, well, when it's your time to step up, you just step up and it's just your turn. And we're not looking for guys who, okay, maybe they demonstrate good qualities in their, in their daily lives. Here's a guy who's maybe the CEO of the bank. And so we say, hey, well, I mean, he's the CEO of the bank. He's a guy who's got some responsibility. He must be a good guy. He would be a good guy to put in this position. No, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for guys who meet God's qualifications. Holy Spirit given qualifications. And so, the church at Jerusalem did just that. They looked out amongst them and they said, you know what, Stephen, we believe you are that kind of man. And Philip, we believe you are this kind of man. And Prochorus and Nicanor and on down the list till they got seven guys. They then presented them to the apostles and it says there in verse 6 that the apostles, they prayed and laid their hands on them. It would seem then that that was indication that these men had been appointed to now serve in this Role. Some say, and we'll talk about this maybe in some later studies, some believe that maybe this was the first deacons being appointed in the church. The text doesn't say that specifically, but maybe that's possibly what's going on there. But it was the church. It was that local congregation who was instructed, pick out from among you men who meet these things. And this evening, what I'm going to present to you, after talking about this with our with the men's group this afternoon and deciding how do we proceed forward, well, what you're being asked to do is to do that same thing. Pick out from among you men who... Well, what kind of men? Well, the kind of men that we read about in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1. We've studied those qualifications. We've talked about them uh, at length. And we're going to continue to keep thinking about those things. But you need to find those kinds of men. We're not going to read those verses tonight. Some of us have probably almost got them memorized at this point. But you need to find those kind of men. Now, once again, that seems like a very daunting task. Man, that's a a lot to look at there. Noted before that when you combine the list, we're talking about maybe somewhere in the ballpark of two dozen qualifications, two dozen things to be looking for. Can we find a plurality of men, at least two, need a plurality, a plurality of men who meet those qualities and so that they can then serve this congregation in that important role? Well... That's where we're at now. So how do we go about that? What's that process going to look like? Well, I'm going to share with you. This was We had the whiteboard out when the men were gathered together this afternoon and we were kind of scratching through things and writing things down as to how all of that, uh, the way that we want that to go, the way, again, that we feel might be the most expedient, the way that might uh, maximize our, 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 our time and the way that we look at all these things. And this is the process uh, that we are going to use for selecting, and if at the end of that we have men who are ready, then hopefully appointing men to serve in the role of elders. The first thing that I'm going to direct you to is the fact that we're going to have three weeks to fill out elder selection forms. You're going to find in the foyer uh, a piece of paper that looks something like this. There's nothing special about the form itself. You see there's maybe a lot of writing there on the top, but all that is on the top of that form 
is those two passages that were just on the screen. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. That way you've just got something in front of you that reminds you of the kind of men that you're looking for. And at the bottom of that form, you'll then see, here's a here's some, some lines here as to where you'll write down the names of men that you believe meet those qualifications. And then there's a place at the bottom for you to sign that you've, you've submitted these particular names uh, before the church. Now, there's an important caveat before you just go writing in names and then depositing that. And there's actually going to be, I had this black box from a couple of years ago, and so we decided we're just going to set this box up in the foyer somewhere, and you can just fill that out and drop those in that box. There's an important caveat before you just go filling stuff out and dropping it in that box, and that is the second thing. And that is, before submitting a form that has any man's name on it, the first thing that you need to do is you need to make sure that you speak to that man or those men that you believe are qualified, and you need to make sure of their willingness to accept that role and their willingness to serve. Don't write down somebody's name that, you know what, I think that might be a good gun. I'm going to write his name down and I'm just going to kind of put it in secretly. Don't do that. That's not good. You need to find out if that man has that desire and has a willingness to do this work. That's important. If he's not willing to do it, then you really have wasted your time by writing his name down and putting that, putting that in that box. And in fact, you might even create some embarrassment for that man uh, if you don't talk to him first. So talk to that man first. Make sure that he's willing to do that. Maybe you've got a question of somebody that, you know what, I think here's a guy that I think he might be qualified, but there's something I, do, I just want to make sure about. And I want to make sure that, that I understand where he is on this and I want, to, I want to be confident in this. I don't want to write down somebody's name that I'm not confident about. You go and ask that man. Go talk to him. I will suggest to you, and I maybe would kind of discourage the idea of everybody thronging in the foyer around anybody to do that like all at once, all tonight. We've got... Three weeks here, got plenty of time. Maybe it's the kind of thing where you could just send a man an email, send him a text message. If it's something that needs more thorough face-to-face talking, you do that. But you need to communicate with that man to make sure that he's willing to accept that role. Then once you write those names down, drop that in that box. Sometimes between now and, what was the date? April the 7th, that's when the three weeks would be up. At the end of that three weeks, we will then compile the list of all of the men who are potential elders. And when that list is then compiled and put together, those names will then be put before the congregation for your consideration. And I want to be very clear about that. When we get to this point here, because those names are announced, that does not mean, okay, these are your elders now. No. At this point, here's the list of names we've got, and it's for your consideration, for my consideration. Those of us that are members of this church, we want to now think very deeply about these specific... Here we've got two, three guys... We're going to think specifically about these men. And when we think about those men, what we may find is we may find that, well, there's some areas of concern that maybe I have about this gentleman. Here's a gentleman that I, I didn't put that man's name forward, but somebody else did. Maybe some several other people put that man's name down. And so I've got some things that I need to kind of get clarity in my own mind. Maybe some things that I need to work through. And so what we're going to then suggest for you is that for the next three weeks, after that, you're going to have an opportunity to ask those questions of those men. If there are any lingering concerns that you might have with those men and their their qualifications and their ability to do the work, you address that with those men. And I'm, I put the word candidates there in kind of quotations. I realize that's kind of a crude word to use, but I just couldn't think of a better word to use. You need to go talk to those candidates directly once again. Somebody maybe says, well, you know, I'm... I'm kind of scared about the idea of going and talking to this guy and bringing up these things. Listen, 
If you can't talk to your brother or your sister in Christ, there's something really difficult and something wrong going on there. We need to have the kind of relationship with one another where where we're able to talk with one another, especially about something as important as this. And in fact, if you're not able to talk about that man, then that's going to then create a whole bunch of other problems about being able to then talk to that man if he is appointed uh, as an elder. So go talk to that man specifically. What you may find is that when you go and talk to him, or maybe it's going to be a conversation you have with him and his wife, what you may find is that as you address your concerns and as you ask your questions, you may find that the whole thing's able to be resolved right then and there. Maybe it is you just misunderstood something. Maybe it was something you weren't entirely clear about and he was able to help clear that up. That'll be really helpful. It's good for brothers and sisters to spend time with one another outside of these assemblies, getting to know one another, and this is one of those areas where that's going to be really helpful. Now somebody says, well, what if I do go and talk to that brother? And at the end of that, I'm just still not comfortable. Maybe there there wasn't the clarity given that I was looking for. Maybe that doubt still remains in my mind. And I'm concerned that if that man is appointed, that I will not be able to then submit to the eldership as a whole as a result of him being appointed to that role. Well, what do I do now? Well, here's the last piece of legislation that the men felt would be prudent to include. And that is that any kind of unresolved concerns, any kind of scriptural objections that you may have, you need to bring that uh, to a group that uh, we just kind of did it on a volunteer basis of men who, all four of these men who are mentioned here are men who wanted to make it clear that they do not wish to be asked serve as elders. They don't believe that they are qualified, or at least at this time are not qualified. So these four guys, Tom Palmer, Mitchell Swan, Glenn Price, and Stuart Spillman, if you have a lingering concern after talking to that brother, then bring it to those men. And those men will then take that to the man in question, and see if there's further discussion that can be had, to see if a resolution can be reached. If there's not a resolution that can be reached, then we may reach a point where that man may end up withdrawing his name for further consideration. And if that man is one of two, then at that point, the whole process will stop because we're not going to have a plurality of men to serve as elders. However, if it's brought to the attention of those men, and maybe those men are able to go with you and you all sit down together with that individual, maybe we're able to have, all right, maybe I wasn't able to kind of get to the heart of what I needed, just me one-on-one with that person. But now, i got some people with me and we're all able to talk this through. Maybe we are able to find a resolution. Maybe I find that I am able to submit to this eldership if this man is appointed. At that point, then the church will then proceed forward with what would be the great thing that could happen, and that would be the appointment of a plurality of men to serve as elders. Again, when we get to this stage here, it's hard to say exactly what happens next, because all that's going to depend uh, upon the names that are put forward and how we as a congregation uh, respond to those men. Men have the, they have the support of the group. If they don't have the support of the group, then it's just not going to do any good. You could appoint those men and things would just be an absolute mess because we don't support that individual. We're not going to be able to submit to them and we're not going to be able to function as a congregation that God wants us to function as. Now, I want to revisit something that I talked about a little bit in I think the second lesson in this series. I did a lesson on the various reasons as to why churches often do not have elders. And one of the points that I made in that lesson is that sometimes churches don't have elders because there is fear. There's a fear of, well, what might happen? 
What happens if we start venturing down this road and problems arise? And there becomes discord and disunity within the congregation. What if we get all the way to the end of this process and we don't appoint anybody? That's really disappointing. And that just discourages the morale and oh, oh, none of us wants those things. And I want to be very clear about all of that. I understand that those things are very possible realities. There's one of a couple of ways that this could go in the end. We could either at the end of this process have men that are appointed as elders, or we may we may not appoint any men as elders. And I understand about the reality of that. And I want you to know that the anxiety and the worries and the long conversations and maybe even the long sleepless nights that maybe we've had about thinking about all of this and thinking about the future, I want you to know that I am very sympathetic to that. I would venture a guess, maybe I don't want to just say it emphatically, but I would venture a guess that I have had more sleepless nights over the course of the last six months over this subject than maybe anybody else in this room. And maybe part of that, maybe probably the main reason for that is because I am the evangelist here. And so there's a lot of pressure on me to try and preach what I believe the Word of God says about these things to preach them in a, in a persuasive way, but preach them in a, in a convicting way in what I believe the Scriptures teach. And I go into this, I went into it all with the recognition that there's going to be some of this stuff that, yeah, we were going to have disagreement about. I knew that, I knew that before we ever even started. I'm not, I'm not brand new to this. And I recognize that. And so there's the fear and the concern in my mind of, how's everybody going to take the things that I present? Are they going to take it and receive it in the spirit of, of, of love in which I've tried to present them? Is somebody going to maybe hear things that I did not say and maybe read in between the lines that I'm trying to say something that wasn't explicitly there? Those thoughts have kept me up at night many nights over the course of the last several months. Maybe my dad can share some of that uh, anxiety and concern as he's tried to teach the Bible class uh, during the last quarter. But I understand about that. And I understand that there is a sense in which all of us have been on edge to a degree. Having said all of that, even though I recognize that that's the reality, that things, things could go bad, we could reach the end of this and we don't establish an eldership, I want to say to you tonight that despite all of that, I choose to be optimistic. And we do have the choice about that, don't we? We can choose either to be optimistic or to be pessimistic. And you can be realistic and still be optimistic. You understand what I mean by that? I had the article in the the bulletin this morning about about Caleb and Joshua and about the spies who went to spy out the land of Canaan. Can can you imagine what it would have been like to be in that throng of people of all the Israelites back then? Ten guys come back and they say, Oh, it's a beautiful place, wonderful place. It's awesome. It would be great if we could go there, but there's just no way. It's impossible. We are not going to be able to go there. We are small. We are grasshoppers. We are nobody. We can't overtake these mammoth Canaanites. We just can't do it. And then there's Caleb. And what does Caleb choose to say? How does Caleb choose to view this whole situation? Caleb chooses to say, I believe we are well able to take this land. And why? Because God is with us. That's what we have. The Lord is with us. And I I want to just say, and I was encouraged by a good brother to, to maybe just articulate this. I've said this in private conversations, but I think it needs to be said out loud as well. 
I realize that sometimes, especially when we start talking about those family qualifications, that, that we've got folks who are in this particular camp, we've got folks who are in this particular camp. And in fact, sometimes even amongst those two main camps, there's even divisions of other camps of where people fall on, on how, they, how they understand and their convictions about those things. Do you want to know the one thing that, that unifies all of those different convictions and all those different groups? I am persuaded that every person in this congregation is genuinely and sincerely trying to do what's right. I believe that with all of my heart. I don't believe there's anybody in this congregation who's just trying to throw a wrench in things. I don't believe there's anybody here who's just trying to cause trouble. Here, I believe this particular thing about this, and maybe that's kind of unpopular with some folks. I don't don't believe that anybody who believes those things, they're just trying to be ornery, that they're just trying to cause problems. I believe we have a congregation of people who everybody here wants to serve the Lord. And we are sincerely trying to apply what we believe the Scriptures to teach. And you know what? I believe the Lord sees that. And I believe the Lord will bless that. And that is why I am optimistic. I'm optimistic that I think the Lord sees our hearts. I believe the Lord sees that we're trying to do what's right. That we're trying to do what's right individually. And as a congregation, we're trying to do what's right so that we can be organized in His way. I'm optimistic because of that. Can I give you one more reason that I'm optimistic? And we'll close with this. Would you go back to Titus 1 now? In Titus chapter 1... Some of you may remember um, that when we preached on the qualifications, I introduced those lessons by pointing out that the circumstances in which Titus found himself in and the circumstances that Timothy found himself in were similar, but they were different. Paul wrote to Timothy, and Timothy was in Ephesus. And Timothy was laboring with a congregation that already had elders. By the time Paul had wrote 1 Timothy, the congregation in Ephesus had been established, and that congregation had elders. We can read about that in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18 and 19 and 20, where Paul has those conversations with the Ephesian elders. And so Timothy is directed to appoint, really, to trying to appoint more elders. They've already got an eldership established. Now you need to appoint more elders. And here's some things to think about. And then he gives him some instructions about appointing deacons. When you get to Titus, though, things are a little bit different. As we read a few moments ago in Titus 1, verse 5, the churches on the island of Crete, they were lacking. They were defective. They did not have elders. And so Titus is given what, in my opinion, seems like might be the, might be a little bit tougher assignment. That is to get elderships established in those places. Can I show you why Titus's assignment was just exponentially tougher, I believe? In Titus chapter 1, Paul says, I left you in Crete, verse 5, but drop down now to verse 10. After giving the qualifications, Paul says a few things about what things were like in Crete. Titus 1, verse 10, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. This is one of the reasons elders need to be appointed so that they can help take care of folks like that. But then notice verse 12. One of the Cretans, that's a person from Crete, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said this, Cretans are always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. So people who were from Crete just commonly said, you know what? 
People who come from Crete are pretty rotten people. Just generally speaking, they lie and they're lazy and they're gluttonous and they're just evil. It doesn't even refer to them as people, but as evil beasts. Man, I would be curious to see what life was like on the island of Crete in the first century. It sounds like it was pretty wretched. Sounds like a pretty miserable place to live. Verse uh, 13, Paul then corroborates all this by saying, this testimony is true. What that Cretan prophet said about on the island of Crete, Paul says, yeah, he's telling the truth. That's the way it is. People are just kind of rotten and low down and scallywags on the island of Crete. Now, with that in mind, here's what I want you to think about. Despite the difficult atmosphere and environment in which Titus found himself in Crete, It is of interest to me that Paul still says, I left you in Crete because I believe you can find men on that island who are able to serve as elders in those churches. And what I want to say to you this evening is that if Paul believed elders, qualified men, could be found in a place like that, then surely we can find qualified men in a place like this. I do believe, I've said it on the record before, I do believe we have qualified men. You may see that different. But I believe that we do have a plurality of qualified men. And so now the charge is to you, to those of us that are members of this congregation, that we will then set about the task of trying to identify and find those individuals. And we'll just see where this process takes us all. Now, we've said over and over again in these lessons that we want to find... Qualified men, because we want, as a congregation, we want us to be whole and complete and be organized the way churches were in the New Testament. But can I tell you what, in many ways, is probably even the greater reason as to why we want to have elders and shepherds in this congregation. is because we want to have men who will help to lead us to heaven. You're just summarize what's the job of a shepherd in a local church. That's their job, right? You just kind of pack it down. To a simple description, their job is to help lead the sheep to heaven. And that's what we want and that is what we desire. And they operate under the charge of the chief shepherd. They are deputy shepherds. but They operate under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is laboring day in and day out to try and lead us to that place. He wants to bring us to the place where He is. He wants us to be in heaven with Him for all of eternity. The question this evening, and as we're about to sing the song of invitation is, is are you heading in that direction? Are you being led by the chief shepherd? If you are not, if you are not one of his sheep, then this evening you can change all of that. You can become one of God's children by rendering your obedience to the gospel, confessing your faith in Jesus as God's Son, repenting and turning from sin and being baptized in water. You this evening can be buried with Christ and you can become a child of God. You can become a part of His flock being led to heaven. You are a child of God, but you've not been serving Him faithfully. Maybe as a sheep you've wandered from the fold, you've not been living as, a, as, as an obedient and submissive sheep, then brother or sister, repent. Whatever might be amiss in your life, let us encourage you, let us pray with you if we can, let us help you in whatever way so that we can all be led together to be in heaven with our Lord someday. Whatever your need may be, take advantage of this moment right now. Do something about it while we stand and while we sing.